Is church an organization, an institution, or is it people? If church is an institution, we will sacrifice people in order to protect it. But if church is people, we will sacrifice institutions and organizations to protect them. And it's very easy for us to say, oh, church is people, and yet still act like it is an organization or an institution. Over the last five years, as I started Horizon Community Church, I've seen over and over again churches and denominations and networks sacrifice people in order to protect their religious organizations or institutions. When the pre-sex scandal broke, documents revealed that the Catholic Church long knew of the issue and moved troublesome priests around to hide their bad behavior and protect the image of their organization. Protestants, evangelicals, and non-denom churches fared little better. Scandal after scandal has shown a long history of abuse, from summer camps to youth groups, where church leaders usually covered up the story and suppressed the victims in order to preserve their reputation and protect their religious organization's reputation in the community. Uh, one prominent Christian thinker and speaker an author who was recently revealed to live a double life using ministry funds to rescue women from third world countries and provide housing and education to them and then requesting sexual favors from them. He was said to tell one woman who was a fellow believer, don't say anything about what I'm asking you to do and what I'm making you do because I'm reaching thousands of people for Jesus. And if you say anything, it'll prevent me from reaching anymore. You'll actually hurt the work of God if you come out and tell people about how I am abusing you. Now, I could rattle off the name of 10 high-profile pastors without even thinking about it, without even trying, who have been unmasked in just the last five years for either being abusive, controlling leaders, or alcoholics, or womanizers, or sexual predators. In most cases, their churches downplayed and ignored warning signs for years or even decades because this charismatic public persona leading the organization kept getting bigger attendances and uh, increasing budgets and so they were ignoring these troubling red flags that they saw. The way that we currently do church prioritizes the organization over the individual. I believe church has to change. And we have a real problem. We say God loves people, but our church is built in his name use people instead of loving them. When culture looks at the news and another popular megachurch pastor is arrested for sexually exploiting children, are we really surprised that people aren't coming to our churches? Heck, I see that on the news and I don't want to come to church. I don't want anything to do with a religion that would empower someone and silence their victims in order to amass wealth and influence and power for organizations and institutions. I don't want to be a part of something that, that downplays the victim and protects the oppressor. But I don't follow this faith because I was raised in it, or because I belong to a successful and powerful church, or follow some charismatic leader. I follow Jesus. I try to model my life on his teachings because I have found him to be the most satisfying pursuit of my life. Money and pleasure, influence, None of those things satisfy like pursuing Jesus. I think the way we do church today would make Jesus throw some tables and shed some tears. 
But I think the vision that Jesus had for church is so good. It's worth chasing after. I'm not giving up on church because I believe what Jesus imagined when he thought of church was something so good, it's worth fighting for. The vision Jesus had for church is so different than the vision that we so often see in our communities today. Our culture is at a critical moment of change, and I believe only the churches that recapture Jesus' original vision for a countercultural community, a community that lived and loved like he did and acted like family, only that kind of community will survive and thrive into the future. And so over the last few weeks and for the next few weeks, we're going to be exploring the story of the first churches in the book of Acts and identifying mindsets of a future church, a church that's going to survive and thrive into the future. Today we're going to be in Acts chapter 3, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 10. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at 3 in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John, and then Peter said, look at us. And so the man gave them his, his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk, and then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit every day begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. In Acts chapter 2, Luke tells us that the students of Jesus were gathering daily in the temple to pray. Peter and John here are on their way there. And just outside of the gate, a lame man is asking for alms, and Peter and John stop and see the man. And I think this is important. All day long, priests and Pharisees and rabbis and worshipers were coming and going from the temple. And like us today, most people were missing this man in pain right in front of them. Peter and John didn't think to themselves, we can't be late. We're leaders. People are waiting on us to meet them and pray with them. At this point, there were several thousand people learning how to live and love like Jesus in Jerusalem. Peter and John, these were two of the ultra leaders, the leaders among leaders, the apostles of the apostles. Uh, and they didn't think, what if we don't show up and people lose interest and go home? What if this entire thing falls apart because I wasn't early and engaged? They realized it didn't rely on them. They saw someone in need and they realized they could set aside their religious duties for a little bit to meet the need right in front of them. I can't help but think of the story Jesus told of the Good Samaritan. The religious people ignored the wounded man because of their, their religious duty was more important than the individual's pain. And if we're not careful, we become like the priest and the Pharisee and pass the people who have needs. All because we're so focused on ministry, we miss the people ministry is supposed to be for. The apostles seem to remember this story too, though, and they do the right thing. They stop and see this man in pain. They postpone their religious duty to engage a person's pain. 
The church of the future won't worry about the organization. They will worry about the individual. They won't focus on the institution. They will focus on people. The future church will be known for healing and helping the hurting, just like the first century church was. If you ask Peter and John if prayer was important, they would say immensely important. They would say it's essential to the Christian life. But it wasn't more important than someone helping someone in pain right in front of them. I'm afraid that our churches have often become obsessed with the means and forgotten the end goal. We've gotten so caught up in keeping our organizational gears oiled that often we've oiled them with the pain of people. The church exists for people, not to use people. The church exists to serve people, not to be served by people. The church is people. Future churches will not shove religious goods and services down the throat of someone who is in too much pain to actually appreciate what is being given to them. Want to know how future churches will grow? They will genuinely, authentically, and compassionately love hurting people. Authentically and compassionately love hurting people. If the church genuinely cares for hurting people, people will come to us. Because people who genuinely care are rare, and everyone wants that. The most secular, anti-Christian person in the world desperately wants someone to care about their pain. There are people hurting right in front of you, right in front of me. Do what you can to help and heal them. People looking for jobs, people looking for love, people looking for food. Peter and John could heal. I can't. Notice what they say, though. They say, I don't have silver or gold. That's what you want. I'm going to give you what I have. We can say the same thing. I don't have the power to heal, but what I do have, I'm going to give you. What I do have to give to help your pain, I'm going to give. Give what you have to help hurting people. Help where you can, even if it is inconvenient. And you'll be amazed how interested people become in your faith. See, people want something real. Someone that cares about their very real pain. People don't want to buy into your religion. They want to buy into your love. They don't care how religious they, you are. They care how well you love. For too long, the church has measured success on how many people it can gather in a room for a service, how much money it has in the bank. These are the two big indicators of, look, we are successful. I think we must shift our focus from the performance of our churches to how well we are meeting the pain of our people. A successful future church will be healing and helping hurting people. It won't measure how many people are in the room or how much money is in the bank. It'll measure how well are we doing at actually helping hurting people. And you know what? I think that this won't hurt our old metrics. In fact, I think that this will help them because advocating for hurting people won't hurt the church. The church is people. And the more we care for hurting people, I think the more people that we're going to see reached and delivered. So here's three areas that I think future churches must address in order to be about healing and helping just like the early church was. We must address the prevalence of sexual abuse in the Western church. We must take seriously the mental health crisis of our current times. And finally, we must teach people how to grieve suffering and loss. First, the sex abuse epidemic in our Western churches. I think that we are afraid that if we elevated the sex abuse voices, the abused voices of victims, some of our most powerful and successful 
pastors may be dethroned by a false accusation. I think a lot of churches have a lot of fear about this. Like, if we really start listening to victims, if we really let them take stage and share their stories and their hurt and their pain, you know, there's going to be some false accusations and some famous pastors are going to get thrown under the bus when they really didn't do anything. The alternative is that the hurting aren't helped, that they are maligned or ignored, and that can't be an option. The early church would always choose the victim every time because the apostles realized the message didn't depend on them. It depended on the Holy Spirit. Men and women come and go, but the Holy Spirit is constant and consistent and the only necessary element of the church. They were joining the Spirit in his work. The Spirit wasn't joining them in their work. I think this is so important. So often we ask the Spirit to join us. We are joining him. And you know what? We don't matter. Infinity plus zero still equals infinity. We don't add anything to the equation, but he wants us to be a part of what he's doing. We don't need charismatic, talented men and women to lead our ministries. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to be on the men and women leading our ministries. And you know what that means? We can afford to elevate the voice of someone who's a victim and hear their stories, even if that means some of us get thrown down and cast out of the limelight. We didn't need the spotlight anyways. We must decrease. Jesus must increase. Our churches have elevated pastors to such a respected level that we tend to believe them and not the victims of sexual abuse. You see this in the stories of some of these famous pastors who have fallen in the last five, ten years. Year after year, these reports were coming in, but the pastor was so well respected and had led his organization to such success that his voice was taken as more uh, trustworthy than the voices of all his victims. Somewhere along the way, we have decided that the reputation of our organizations has been more important than the healing of the hurting. I think church has to change. Churches of the future will defend the victims and not the organizations and the institutions. And you know what? I think our organizations and institutions will be healthier when we defend the victims instead of trying to defend our institutions. A church that protects its image instead of kneeling to help the injured will always rightfully be rejected by our culture. I know we have a lot of things that we say about why our culture has rejected Christianity and our churches today. We say, well, you know, the culture is just post-Christian. They're just so secular. They're so narcissistic. You know, they're obsessed with social media and Netflix. And we have all these things like this is, you know, the postmodernism and I think at the end of the day, our churches have spent more time protecting their images instead of kneeling to help the injured. And our culture looks at that and says, that's disgusting and I don't want any part of that. And I think they have every right to say that. We have to change if we want to reach them. We need to stop protecting our image and start protecting the image bearers of God. The second aspect of future churches... um, Adopting a mindset of helping and healing will be recognizing and respecting the mental health struggles of our day. In a survey, half of millennials, 50% of millennials between the ages of 24 and 39, said that they've left a job because of mental health reasons. Because of the stress or the anxiety or the pressures of a job, 50% of millennials have said that they have left a job. Now, how many of those do you think have left a church for the exact same reason? For Gen Z, 
those between the ages of 18 and 23, 75% said they have left a job because of mental health reasons. Now, in the general population, less than 20% among the other generations say that they've ever left a job because of mental health reasons. If you look at the stats, millennials and Gen Z after them, we have some of the highest levels of anxiety and depression and emotional mental health issues. If we're going to be a church for the future, we have to address the emotional anguish that the next generations are experiencing at epidemic levels every single day. Cheap answers won't convince the culture that the church cares about their suicidal thoughts, their depression, their anxiety, and their loneliness. For too long, the church has been dismissive of mental health issues and suggested cures like praying more or reading your Bible. As Darby once told me, the church often misdiagnoses emotional issues as spiritual issues. We can't get angry when someone doesn't attend a church event because emotionally they couldn't even get out of bed that day. We can't say, well, you know, you haven't been in church every Sunday. Look, there are some people who literally getting out of bed feels exhausting because of the emotional state that they're in. The younger generations aren't interested in working through the book of Romans and reading into all kinds of deep theology and doctrine when they feel like every day they wake up, life is meaningless and they're drifting in an emotional sea of darkness and they don't have a single close friend that they can talk to and share with. See, we need to take seriously the mental health issues in our culture and the church shouldn't prescribe quick Jesus placebos to deep emotional issues. So many times we give cheap answers to people who are really hurting and no wonder why they don't want anything to do with our churches. I believe the good news of Jesus speaks to emotional pain, but we simply can't preach depression away. <coughs> we need to get comfortable advising people to go to counseling instead of thinking as pastors, we know enough to somehow guide them through what they're walking in. We need to educate ourselves on emotional tool sets to help people. And sometimes, church leaders, church people, we need to get to therapy ourselves. One of my commitments to you this year is I want to start going to therapy. I have some pain. I have some pain from my childhood. I have some pain through my adult life. Darby and I have lost a child. We've tried to adopt, and it's been a long, slow road. And I've realized I got a lot of baggage, and my personality, my tendency is to shove that down and to not deal with it. And that's not healthy, and that's not good. And if I'm going to be a future church, if we're going to be a future church, I'm going to be a future church leader, I got to deal with some of this. I can't just keep ignoring it and saying, well, if I pray more and I study more, it's going to go away. I have to address these things. I can't run from them. And it's going to be the churches that are honest and open about their mental health struggles and how they've healed and how they can help others heal who will be prepared for the future. Finally, future churches will teach people how to grieve losses and how to endure suffering. Sometimes churches preach a false good news about the Christian life, like just obey Jesus and your life will be free from suffering. Everything will be good. Like if you do things God's way, everything will work out and everything will be fine. It just isn't true. And it doesn't take people very long to see that it's not true. In fact, some people fed that lie, jump into church and quickly realize at their first struggle they encounter, oh wow, this didn't fix everything in my life. Things are still hard and they bounce out of church. 
But even our churches that teach about suffering often flippantly dismiss it with a theological nicety from the stage without considering how deeply and devastating suffering can be to a person's body and a psyche. So many times I've preached about suffering from a stage and I've had no understanding what it really means to suffer like some of the people sitting out there listening to me wax eloquent about how Jesus works out all things for good. And I have not sat with people who are hurting enough to really appreciate their pain. And sometimes my answers and my preaching and my theological conclusions have been cheap and insulting to people who are really hurting. That has to change if we're going to be a future church. At Horizon, I don't think we've done a very good job helping people learn how to grieve, mostly because I'm not very good at it and I haven't led you very well in it. I deflect away from tears and sadness and pain. I try to distract myself and others when they're hurting. Uh, you know, if people are crying, I try to make a joke or I try to go in a different direction or, you know, I get uncomfortable and I step out of the room. Sometimes you just have to face it. You have to cry. You have to take someone's hand and cry with them. You just have to hold them because there's nothing that you can say. You can just be there with them. Sometimes you have to scream at the heavens, at the injustice that you're facing. Sometimes you have to bury your face in a pillow and just cover it with your tears. Australian pastor Benjamin Wendell says, Our churches have forgotten to set a table, have forgotten to set a seat at the table for suffering. Future churches won't forget. They will be realistic about the pain and the agony of life on this fallen world, but they will also be full of hope. Hope that the world won't always be like this. That King Jesus will return and set things all set things right. Somehow he'll make everything sad come untrue. But future churches won't run from hurting people. They will embrace hurting people. They will hurt with hurting people. They will weep with weeping people. They will mourn with mourners. And they will comfort the troubled. I find most people aren't looking for the church to provide deep theological reasons for their suffering. They're really not. Most people are looking for someone to weep with them over a tiny casket as the lid closes for the final time. Most people are looking for someone to sit with them at chemo as they go again and again and again. Most people are looking for someone to hold them when their spouse walks out and it feels like their whole world has shattered. The question is, will we be those people? Those people are future churches. Will we be? Lord Jesus, thank you so much for starting the church. Thank you for having such a beautiful vision of unity and diversity, this family of really enemies who have gathered together, united around Jesus, and you change everything. God, forgive us for how far we've gotten from your original vision and help us to become a future church, a church like your first century church, a church that stopped and pause to sit with the wounded and the hurting and to bring healing and help. God, help Horizon to become a church that doesn't run from the pain, but embraces people who are hurting. Help me to be that. And I pray these things like I believe you would. Amen.